Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast. I am so glad you're here and am excited for you to hear this conversation with my new friend, Erin Lochner. She is author of the book, Chasing Slow. She had her own HGTV show and has a fabulous blog, Design for Mankind. She is such an inspiration and her book truly came at the perfect timing for me this year. If you know me at all, it's that I have been actively reprogramming myself from the game of the hustle this year. And so her book was so timely and I so enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed our conversation as well because we hit on some really important topics. I left feeling inspired and challenged in a good way. And I know you guys are going to feel the same. So I can't wait to hear your feedback from this episode. And I'm so excited for you to get to know Erin. Hey, Erin. Hi, it's so good to be here, Kelsey. Thank you for having me. It is so good to have you on. We at Radiant love what you're doing, and I know our listeners are in for a treat today to hear your story, um, what you're doing, where you've been, because I know your journey has evolved, and I'm just so excited for you to be here. So I would love for you to start by sharing your story and give us the long version. Whatever you want to share, we are all ears today. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, you Usually I'm trying to whittle it down to the short version, so this is going to be fairly <laughs> freeing for me. Um, but I, I won't uh, go on and on and on. I grew up in the Midwest and uh, married my husband, Ken. We met in university, and um, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor at the time. So uh, a big part of my story really is being shaped by, uh, from such an early age, by the weight of life, you know, kind of learning to hold it loosely, but still honoring the weight that it encompasses. I mean, I would say that's pretty much my life passion. Um, and, and my focus is just, it's striking that balance day after day. And, um, we ended up moving to Los Angeles. He's a film editor. So, uh, lived in LA for, um, gosh, seven years. Um, terrible at math. I always get that wrong. It's all, you know, and it's all a blur when you try to like narrow it down to math. You're like, I don't, I don't know how we were there for a while. And, um, I got fairly caught up in the rat race, um, and wanting to perform and wanting to, again, I, I was so striving for life purpose and, um, and what, and certainly for a productive, enriching marriage. And I had tricked myself into thinking that that meant, um, we had to excel at everything and we had to be super successful with the shortened life that, that Ken was given. And so, yeah, we just really amassed, uh, we amassed jobs and responsibilities and accolades and chased a lot of things and, and exhausted ourselves. We exhausted our marriage and, um, gosh, I would say one of the pivots there was me, I had worked in advertising at the time and I lost my job due to downsizing and really sort of regained a 
a lot of perspective on what was important and what was not important, you know, because it's so funny, you're working hard to become something that you think you're supposed to be and you're trying to follow the rules of what a good citizen looks like and what a good wife looks like and uh, what a good, for me, uh, Christian looks like. And so uh, I think taking that step back and thinking, all right, is any of this true or was I just sort of swept into the sea of popular opinion? Um, is this actually what I believe? Is this what I should be spending my time on? Is this how I should be serving my husband, um, you know, with his health? And so uh, it was a really beautiful time out for me. And I think since then, I, I, I guess I will, n- I will never forget what that felt like to kind of have the rug swept under you. And since then, my, the rug has been swept from beneath me so many different times in so many different areas of life. And I always consider it to be such a good blessing after a really long cry, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I ended up, you know, throughout this time, I had started this small, humble blog. And when I lost my job, it was kind of the green light to go ahead and just do that full time until I found something else which I did. I, I was doing part-time styling work, but um, eventually the the blog balanced out the styling work and, and tipped the scale. And then I started doing the blog full-time. We ended up moving back to the Midwest uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, mainly my husband's father's health was declining. And we, it's so funny because, you know, we when we tell this story, it's like, oh, you moved to the Midwest to slow down, which we thought we were doing, but we actually sped up our lives tremendously because we took a um, HGTV.com show and we filmed it. We renovated a fixer-upper. It was, you know, one of the original online shows available on their site. And we just worked ourselves to the bone. So that was a really big move, I think, career-wise. And it also taught me that fame and fortune was not necessarily something that I wanted to pursue and that I would much rather remember that moment of regaining the perspective and the clarity that, Erin, you don't have to do what the world is telling you to do. You don't have to follow the upward trajectory of career or really anything at all. I don't believe anymore that life is linear. I think it's very cyclical. And so, um, yeah, so I, I think... Another big lesson for me was stepping away from the show and uh, choosing to do and to be and to, um, I guess, to present less. So, yeah, I've, I've been still maintaining my blog ever since. I've been blogging for 12 years now. And I think uh, for me, I really seek to question uh my motives a lot. I like to question why it is that I am still doing what I'm doing. Um, How can I serve both myself, my family, and my readers uh, in a a balanced way? Because I think sometimes we, um, certainly as content creators, I'm sure you understand, it's really easy to tip that scale and to serve your readers and your audience and the people that you'll actually more than likely never meet. And kind of at the expense of your everyday life. And so um, I keep that in check uh, pretty, I, I, I'm pretty rigid actually about that. And if the scale does need to tip, it's always tipping in the favor of my real life. I love that. So something that I know is really a big part of what you're passionate about, especially right now, 
is the state of social media. So I love what you said in an email. I see so many of us becoming broadcasters of our own life than active participants. I would love for you to kind of expound on that. Yes, yes. Um, Well, and it's really hard to, to, I think, have this conversation in context because um, I can't even fathom knowing exactly where every person listening is coming from and the reasons why um, it's important to them. I know some really wonderful women who are incredibly passionate about their work and who do such great work and are so committed to their work and it, um, and they have a lifestyle that suits that. And I uh, do not, I don't have a, a, a capacity that suits multitasking. Um, and I have, you know, it, in, in the season of small children and of supporting my husband, I, I don't really have much margin for that. Um, not to say that if social media is, you know, a primary priority that you suddenly have all this free time, you know, I think, I don't think that's true either, but I do think it's, um, it's important to look at how we're using the time that we're given. So, uh, I know for me, I never want to, I, I never want to be taken out of the moment of my, I, I just, I love daily life so much. I love the everyday and I find so much beauty in real life uh, rather than the, the flattened two-dimensional life that we're taught is real. And um, I think at the end of the day, we just have to remember the internet is not real. The internet is, it, it's lovely. It's beneficial. It has pros. It has cons. It is nuanced like everything else. Um, but if I'm going to choose, I want the real deal and I want the real relationship. And so I have really, um, you know, you won't see my Instagram stories. I don't talk in my phone during the day. Um, I, I keep my phone in the kitchen drawer. Um, my husband hates this cause he'll try to call and be like, Hey, we need milk or something. You know, and I, I never have my phone on me. It's just, um, I, I just really don't truth be told multitask well enough to have it near me. So I like to keep it away, keep it hidden so that I can just, um, you know, get, get my work done and, and be with my kids. And, um, that's what works for me. But I do, I, I really, uh, I know a lot of different ways that it can be done, but the best balance for me is, is really uh, very minimal use with, with my phone and really minimal engagement. Well, I think that's an extremely fresh perspective and kind of the flip side of what's glorified because we glorify busy and doing and being on all the things. And it's actually really fresh to hear you say, like, actually, I just put it in a drawer. I don't have to be a slave to that. So what would you say for someone, you know, in the middle of, you know, pursuing their dreams or launching their dreams? You know, you have your blog, which I would say might be a little bit dependent on Facebook or, or Instagram. How do you balance like needing to post something to stay like active a little bit, but not being a slave to it? That's a great question. And, um, I think the beauty of this, so I, I wrote in my, I wrote, uh, the book chasing slow. I forgot to mention that in my story. And, um, the, really what that book taught me, what writing that book taught me is to kind of embrace the contradictions in yourself. And so I don't want to come across as somebody that has it all together and, oh, I just, you know, I don't even need the internet and use it. And I think, um, I think something that this season is bringing me is definitely more of a mentality that, that I don't, I don't really uh, want to seek a lot more, a lot of value or a lot of voices from the internet, but I've been in seasons where I've really needed that too. So I, I do think there's a place for that healthy balance that you're talking about. 
And um, for me, what that looks like is uh, getting really creative in in how I'm using each platform. So um, I actually don't much engage with Facebook. Um, I don't have a personal page for privacy reasons. And so I just have like the blog page and I will kind of just repost a link to whatever is on the blog that week so people can use it as a feed reader or such. But for um, Instagram, which I found was the most kind, it's kind of the most suck you in platform. And (laughs) you can find yourself scrolling there and lost there, at least for me as a visual person, I I enjoy it the most, um, which is, which is the, why the one I needed to really reshape to work for me so that I wasn't just, you know, I would find myself thinking, oh, I didn't Instagram today. Um, I probably should. And, you know, anytime that word creeps in and, you know, um, it's something to check and to, to see, okay, well, why should you, who says, and, and what does that mean? So for me, I, um, I also found myself kind of resenting the platform and kind of just feeling like, I, but I don't, I don't want this to be in my life. And so how, how can it, if, if it is true that I need it to be in my life for my job and for my career that I actually really do love, I love, I love writing, um, every day. The publishing part is tricky for me. Like I'm, I'm fairly, uh, private as a person. So it is, it's tricky for me to publish and I don't like the spotlight. Um, so blogger is a very weird job for me, but, but, (laughs) um, but I do, um, I do really, really deeply love it at the end of the day. And so I had to ask myself, it is, if it is true, then how am I going to make this benefit me so that I don't resent it anymore? How am I going to make, how am I going to wield this and bend it so that it can serve me rather than deplete me? And so what I do is I post, um, it's, it's essentially a gratitude list. I just call it the good list. Um, and I just post a couple things that I noticed during the day. So, so it's actually, rather than taking me out of the moment, it's training me to see it even more. So I'll just, um, snap a picture and, and, and my rule is I, I don't usually post it until really early in the morning or really late at night. Um, I don't, I don't like to use my phone around people. I don't like to post in front of people. I like to just be present at all times. And so, um, when I've got, you know, a quiet spot in my day, um, usually that's the morning or the night, then I'll throw up the good list. And yeah, it's been a really beautiful practice for me. And it's taught me how to re enjoy Instagram. Totally. And man, that was so relevant to where I'm at because, you know, I I manage Instagram accounts and teach about Instagram. So it's, I have to be a part of it, but some days I just don't want to. (laughs) And so I love kind of what you have done to maintain being present in your life and prioritize what really matters to you while still participating in something that's necessary for your career. So I'd love to to rewind a second back to after HGTV. What happened? Is that what start was the catalyst? Like the busyness of that was that the catalyst for writing Chasing Slow? How did that all come about? Um, I would say it was one of them. It was, um, you know, a really beautiful storm of moments. Um, I we went on hiatus from the show originally because I was pregnant with my with my first child and. Um, motherhood was a very hard transition for me. I did not feel particularly nurturing. Um, I had a colicky baby who cried often and I just felt really bad at my job. I felt really bad at motherhood. And so I thought, um, well, shoot, if I 
can't be a good mother, then I'm going to throw myself into work because I know I'm good at that and I know I can do that. And, um, and I just, I kind of ran away for a little bit, I will say, um, and just looked for fulfillment elsewhere when that's such a silly thing to do because everything takes practice. And I don't know why I didn't think motherhood would be the same. You know, it really does. It just takes so much learning and relearning and unlearning. And, um, of course I'm not going to write out of the gate, be wonderful at it. And, and still am not wonderful at it. And so, um, throwing myself into something else and trying to still be a present mother, proved impossible and I burnt out quite a bit. And so I took a step back from work to sort of reassess and find, okay, um, is this worth it to me? If I can't do, if I can't do both at the pace that I'm doing, then where, where do I want the weightier part of my time and of my energy to go? And that was a no brainer. I wanted it to go to my family. So I, um, yeah, it, it's funny. I, that was probably the beginning of my slow living journey. That's when I sort of evolved my blog into less of a tastemaker influencer space and more of just a journal because that was, that was what I had grown to love about blogging 12 years ago was it was a journal and it was, um, a part of me and it was personal and it was just stories stripped down and bare. And I, I really grew a lot from that and I realized I haven't I haven't been growing in in just you know sharing wide leg pants every day. Um nothing against wide leg pants. I think they're amazing. Um they look good on everybody. So um but I found that that wasn't something that necessarily served me in my everyday life and and certainly not in the focus I was in where I needed to be able to spend time with my family. So I found that I, I did. I wanted to move away from this, you know, expected influencer place where I'm telling people what to buy and what to decorate their home with and what to do with their weekends. And instead, um, I, I started just blogging for me again. And out of that, you know, when you do something more and more and more, then it just becomes second nature. So it was so easy to write that. It wasn't easy to write that book, but it was. It was very natural for me to to write that book because I had essentially been learning it, um, for, for years prior. So, um, that, that was kind of the impetus. I would, I would say the biggest pivot was yes, moving from the HGTV.com gig into also becoming a mother. Did you kind of lose followers as you pivoted? I think that's a lot of our fears. Um, and for me, I've definitely pivoted a few times, and I've just made peace with losing, you know, people who followed me maybe for fashion. And, and like you, I got, I got to a place where it's like, I don't care about the dress I'm wearing anymore. Like I like a cute clip. I like a great dress. Like I love to shop, but I don't want to write about it anymore. Like I don't have anything to say about the next dress. <laughs> um, how did you kind of deal with, you know, your audience maybe changing as you changed? You know, um, it's funny. I had just assumed that that people weren't reading anymore. And, and honestly, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I had to just stop. That had to not be a factor anymore um, yeah. because I could choose, you know, either to write for um, an audience and to, you know, you know the formula to gain followers. You know how to um, 
we know there, I'm not saying that there's a, a formula to gain followers, but there is a set way and we know how to do it. And yeah. so I think once you kind of learn the system, it's, um, it's self-perpetuating. It's really hard to walk away from and to say, you know what, this is no longer worth the risk for me. And it is for some people, you know, some people, I think some people really thrive in it and some people do it well and can do all of the other things they want to do on top of it. Um, I think there are just certain people who are very steady and are very focused and, and they're, they, they don't struggle with branding themselves because they are so, to a T that person. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And absolutely. I've never, and I've never been that way. I've always been, um, ever changing. And I like to, to, it, it's not even growth. It's, it's growth and regression and growth and regression. You know, I'm on constantly having to relearn the same lessons over and over again. And so I'm not saying one is better than the other. I think it just was infinitely hard for me to try to brand myself and think of, think of this space as a platform for other people. And it's a platform for an audience and as a spotlight. And instead I just had to think, well, for this to be sustainable, I need to just not care. I need to just, um, write for me again. And so I did. Um, and I'm, I'm not a big stats person. I don't really know what the, um, what, you know, what topics people moved away from and what pe- topics people gravitated toward. But I do know that, um, it just grew. I, I think, I think people can sense when, you're burning out a bit and, and when you need to take a step break. And I feel like people celebrate when you do and they come alongside you when you, when you grow into something else and when you allow that because they're changing too. I love that. I think you just put into words my subconscious. <laughs> um, seriously, that is so relevant to the season um, of life I'm in. And do you find, I've been listening to some writer podcasts Um, And do you find that God kind of shares a message in themes? So do you feel like slowing down is a theme right now in kind of the world or really our demographic at least? You know, it's funny because I thought that I thought that I would answer that yes, um, because that that was the book I was supposed to write. The book that the publisher asked me to write was, you know, kind of a slow living manifesto. And what happened was when you're writing a back a book, you're living very fast, right? You're on yeah. a, I was on a six month deadline and, um, it was a very, it was a heavy takeout season, I will say. And so things just felt, I felt very hypocritical. Like I'm writing a book about living slowly, but I'm living very fast. And so I like the message that came from that even more, which is just to kind of throw away the metric altogether. And I think we're such a culture that measures our life, right? We, we love information and we love hard facts and we love statistics and we can get them for anything at all. And we've taught ourselves to kind of curate this life, right? We pay so much attention to the objects that are around us and the things in our closet. And, and slowly, I think, I think certainly every time, one of the, one of the beauties for me of not not giving a lot of energy to social media has been that I no longer matter. Like I'm no longer thinking about the things in my house as potential objects or as content. I'm not thinking about my life as content. My schedule isn't, isn't up for opinion. You know, it's, it's just, I am erased and, and you're not thinking about yourself during the day. And it's a really beautiful place to be. And I feel like that's perhaps what my theme has been. Has it's less about 
slowing down and trying to edit, 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 and curate, 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 and more about um, accepting where you are and learning from that place and, and kind of not even, just forgetting yourself a little bit, forgetting the control a little bit and surrendering to um, the day that you've been given. We, we do not get tomorrow, you know, it's, so it's really, it's, when you think about it that way, it's kind of, um, I, and I love a good styled shelf. I love a beautiful house. I love, um, a minimalist wardrobe. Like there, these are things that I naturally gravitate toward, but I no longer give them my headspace. I love your perspective on that because it's, it's consuming to think of like perfecting the shelf for the next post or for the, I love your perspective on like not looking at your life as content, um, which is just freeing, you know, it's extremely freeing to just like what you like, but it not be about it being content. And I, I love to your perspective on living at a slower pace because you're right. Like someone will, there will always be like, a desire to slow down more. Like there's always a, a metric of a goal. And if you just eliminate that, you can actually enjoy life. Exactly. Exactly. It's not that I think that goals are wrong, um, but it is that a lot of times we're placing our goals in, in circumstance that, that we don't really get to control. So, you know, sure, you can whittle down your wardrobe and you can... Um, you know, edit your, you can budget, 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 and you can edit, edit, edit. And then, you know, what happens when you get an aging parent and you have to, your life gets fast. You know what I mean? Um, when you're taking care of somebody else or when your circumstance shifts and you you can no longer control that tidy life that you've created for yourself. Well, then you, you get a little knocked off kilter. And I think that, I think that's happened to me so many times in my life. And certainly when that happens enough, you realize, oh gosh, like these aren't, these aren't a goal is not some, is not placing yourself in a circumstance that has an endpoint. You know, it's just you don't ever arrive. You're never ah there. I've slowed. You know, yeah. and you you can slow your day. Perhaps you can um, take on some really great uh, practical things. I think to kind of um, to, to truly slow your mind or slow your day your schedule a bit, but it's not, it has to not be about control. It has to be about surrender. I love that because like, if you're all just like more is more is more, like if you're always hungering for more, it's kind of the same. If you're always hungering for less, you're in this constant pursuit. It's exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. Either way, your, your, your peace is robbed from you. And so learning to be fully present, stop with the rat race in either direction and just be. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you seriously, this is the most timely message of my life. I love how you talk about serving your husband. And I, I listened to an interview with you on Jesse Arteague's marriage podcast. I loved that. So I would love to share about like this journey you've been on with your husband. Um, I loved reading kind of your story and your book and, and at first feeling like you had a timeline, but how you have learned to just be present. I would love for you to kind of share your journey with that. Oh yeah. You know, he is the best. He's, I, he's fantastic. It's so funny. People will ask me, you know, um, was it hard for you to marry him? You know, thinking he would die in 10 years and it, no, that was not the hard part. You know, the hard part was 
every hard part of every marriage where like he left his toothpaste stains in the sink and you're like, gosh, clean up after yourself, you know, and it's in, <laughs> and realizing that you're still focusing on those really petty things when there's such this looming, um, thing. And it, it, it's, it's exactly the same. And, um, yeah, he's, he's such a goodie. We, um, I think have a really unique relationship, um, in that, oh, we're just, the goal is less about the creating a perfect marriage. The goal is less about being a better wife or a better husband. And the goal is really on how do I make my husband a better person? How can I serve him today? How can I, it's, it's not about me making myself a better wife and, and doing all these things that I think you're supposed to do as a wife. Um, because if you're focusing on yourself at all and, and how you look and how you, um, are perceived, well, then you're not fully serving the other person anyway. You're more serving what the other person thinks of you. And so I think I had to really learn how to do that. I think I had to really understand that, that making myself a better wife is not going to make my marriage better, but paying attention to my husband would, uh, and that's all there is to it. It's, it's paying attention. It's noticing, it's seeing that person. And that looks really differently for us in a lot of seasons. We adopted a baby last year and, um, he came to us overnight and it was very fast. And again, with the living slow thing, right? It's like, yeah, you can be the slow living girl until somebody drops a baby off at your house and then <laughs> done. Um, and then life moves really fast again. And so, uh, we've had just about a year of, of, I would say di like physical distance. I mean, we are literally living two separate lives and that he takes the night shift with the baby and I take the day shift and, um, Date nights are rare. You know, bonding is really important. We are not often away from um, from the little guy, and so it, it's it takes a, a toll certainly. And you know, we were just in the kitchen the other day, and I'm like, I, I don't I don't know how this is working uh, so well, but it, but it's almost like we're we have we have stopped looking at what a picture perfect marriage is supposed to look at and look like, and just um, found little ways to acknowledge each other, you know, in those moments. Um, when he makes pesto chicken, he will, he makes, he has this habit of making food at midnight cause he's up with the baby anyway. <laughs> and so he'll like, um, you know, make an extra one and put it in the fridge for my lunch tomorrow. And I'll do the same with my breakfast and his lunch. It's, it's, it's just really minute things. You know, when I take out the trash, I think about how he does it every other single time. And here I am like, oh, you should thank me. I took out the trash. But then it's like, oh my gosh, he does this all the time. So it's, um, they're really small ways. I think that, I think it's about acknowledging and, and that's such a form of service really, truly. It's, it's a, it's a big deal. I love that. Intentionality goes a long way. I love that. Or I would love to hear about how you guys juggle both working from home. And then one thing you said in your email, and I think I heard you talk about this too, is how you guys support each other when it's kind of your turn or it's his busy work centric season. So you're supporting him and then it, the, the roles reverse and it's your busy season and he's supporting you. How do you guys do that? How do y'all work from home together? <laughs> My husband and I have very different work styles and he doesn't work from home, but is home by like noon every day and is working on homework because he's still in school and our work styles could not be more opposite. So how do you guys balance that? You know, um, it's so funny. It's taken us a lot of iterations because we have just always, um, well, I mean, certainly since we've lived in the Midwest, worked from home in this in the same space. Um, 
for me, uh, and we've had different, it's looked differently um, at different times. Right now, what works best is we really consider our golden hours, which uh, my friends Asha and Christine taught me this term. And it's, it's basically just the time when your brain is most productive. So I'm a morning person. That's my natural time. And what I found that was uh, right after we had our first baby, we naturally, I took the morning shift because I was a morning person and he took the night shift because he's a night person. And, but what we found was it was a real struggle then to work after, like we weren't maximizing the hours where we were most productive because we were spending them with the child. Not that that's wow. not a good use of your time, but but you still but have to work. <laughs> yeah, and there wasn't a lot of productive energy in like rocking the baby back and forth when she's screaming. So it, it was just a lot of um, a lot of wrong steps to realize. Okay, we, I think we're I think we need to switch this and do it the opposite way. So. I would sneak out of the house really early in the morning and go to the coffee shop and get all my work done by like 10 a.m. And then I'd be home for the rest of the day so he could work during the day and then his, or he, so that he could then work. Well, yeah, he was working during the day at that time and then in the evenings. And then I would just go to bed really early. So it was, it was more just that we were thinking about the way that we were using our, t- our time and not necessarily about the time spent. So I think that's helped tremendously in understanding uh, what time of day we work best um, and understanding what space of the house that we work best. Ken works really great in the office. I work good in the dining room. Uh, We don't work at the same time ever. It's always um, different times of day. So one one parent will be fully on with the kids and the other parent will be fully in work and vice versa. Um, And then the other thing is um, for us, we, we're lucky enough to have such flexible work and um, that we can, we, we work really hard to be able to say no to opportunities that ju- if it's just not our turn. So, so for instance, my husband had a really busy work season uh, last summer and fall. And um, so I knew, okay, that's my shift to step up at home. And then when I had a really busy winter launching the book, he stepped up at home. And so it's just a matter of um, budgeting your time and your finances accordingly so that the other spouse can afford to say no uh, without resentment and to say, yeah, this is this. this is my turn to support my spouse. Um, so, and then, and not letting those I think that I think that comes with a lot of growth because so many of us find our worth in our job, and so um, I really admired the way that he doesn't really get identity from his work. It doesn't define him if he does have to turn down an opportunity. It's more a matter of logistics, and uh, same for me. You know, it we know that there's only so much that we can prioritize at a time, and we know that we've chosen to make family an incredible priority. Um, and I homeschool the kids, and he does. Yeah, I'm teaching reading, he's teaching math. So it's it's like there are enough responsibilities here at home that will cause real suffering and, and real damage to the kids if we're not fully focused on that. So I think we're just very intentional about not slipping into a season where both of us are working really, really hard and none of us are focused on on the end goal with the kids. Wow, that is that's really cool. And I love that y'all found what works. I think that like we've kind of talked about all of this episodes, there's no formula for life. Um, And that's something my husband and I have navigated is this works for our best friends, but it doesn't for us. And, you know, this might work better for us because of our jobs and, and 
you're right. Some sometimes each of us have a more demanding seasons than the other, so it's time to step up. And so I love kind of the systems you guys have worked out, and that's encouraging for me as we both will most likely work from home for the foreseeable future. And so I think that that can be a tough uh, thing to navigate, um, especially when children are in the mix. So yeah, yeah, it really can. And I think uh, we have also received, we've really reached a place where we're no longer, we don't feel guilty about it anymore that we rarely take date nights or that we, um, our marriage doesn't look, you know, you hear all the advice, you have to have a weekly date night and you have yes. to, um, um, and, and we're not in a season where that's possible logistically. And, and that has to be okay. You know, it's, it's, I, I think that before we really tricked ourselves into thinking, are we not prioritizing our marriage? But, um, we're just, we're best friends and we work alongside so well together. Not in that we always get along or always agree, but just in that, um, again, it's the small ways. It's the, um, let me refill your water glass. Like while I'm headed into the office, it's just small, simple ways where you, that to us, that replaces the date nights, um, every week and the, um, also, we see each other all day long, so it's really not that yeah. we really don't actually need the date nights um, all the time. We miss them. We would like them. But um, I think I think not allowing the guilt or the uh, picture-perfect portrait of what it should look like or what you thought it was going to look like as you were working from home, I think that's a big part of it, too. Oh, you're speaking my language. Okay, so something that's been a theme of this entire conversation is the word should, which is a huge uh, thing in my life right now where I sit in counseling sessions about guilt and the word should. So how did you get to this place? Um, Do you have any resources that helped you make peace with our life doesn't have to be what should is what people are saying should, whether it's your... um, whether it's people you look up to in your field, whether it's your pastor, whatever. I think we let people who are influential to us in a very positive way, but sometimes, you know, thoughts are communicated in a blanket statement formula style, and that's just not realistic. And so for me, I've been in a huge season of debunking the shoulds in my life. And how did you kind of get to where you are with that? You know, I... I'm a very easily influenced person. Um, and so I am incredibly intentional with putting on the blinders. I, I, I don't watch much TV. I don't put, I watch, don't watch many movies. I'm very particular about the books I'm reading. Um, it's so funny. I used to, um, when, when my daughter was first born, we would watch Friday night lights. Like, like one of us would watch Friday night lights while the other one was like rocking her while she's yelling in the kitchen. And, uh, like we're bouncing around the kitchen Island with her and the other ones like got their earplugs. And, um, it was this weird, it was like this weird ritual that we would do like at night when she would cry, <laughs> we would just put it on to like get some clarity and, um, some happiness. It's such a good show. But I suddenly, this was the the craziest thing, I started getting this weird Southern accent that I didn't have before. <laughs> and Ken's like, what? It, what is happening? And it was like watching Friday Night Lights gave me a Texan accent or what the, What I thought. It, it was something like my brain would just was just fully immersed. And it was a really terrible example of just how, how thin my skin really is. And things get in. And so um, I, I, just, I just don't put it in there. 
you know, I think that's really my only rule is, is surrounding myself with truth um, rather than popular opinion. Often they are very far apart. Um, I read the Bible a lot, uh, and and usually that's my go-to rather than a book about the Bible or then, you know, a book. I, I do love memoirs. I think that's where I veer. Um, I love to hear people's stories, and I think that's what I love about memoirs is because. Um, every story about someone's life is true to a certain extent. And so I feel like there's so much um, perspective to be gained in hearing someone else's story who's so different from your own. I think there's a lot to learn from that. So um, I would say really my only method of debunking the shoulds is to not even let the shoulds get in. How did you identify what shoulds you were believing that weren't true or didn't align? Like, do you... Would you say that staying in scripture kind of keeps you at, with a, a pretty healthy compass of what's pointing true north? A hundred percent. I think I think everybody has to define their gold standard of true, right? What is true? What does not un, what does not change? What is not altered by circumstance? And I have not been able to find that in our culture. I, I have not been able to pinpoint um anything that feels so, so, so true other than, uh, the, you know, the, the most ancient text that we have. Like that, that is what feels the most true to me. And so it just makes it so much easier than, it, that's the benchmark, right? That's the measurement. If it falls short of that, it, and it, then it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me as, as truth. And it, that's not to say that I don't think we can learn from popular culture or that we can, um, broaden our understanding or that we can relate and become more empathetic to other people or to other ideas. I think all of those things are fantastic. Um, learning is important, but I think we have to, we have to have that benchmark and that measurement of what we're, what we're judging. You know, what are we, if there, if this is the standard or the expectation, then where does this fall within that? Um, does it hold up? Is it, is it encouraging you to do the same? Is it encouraging something opposite of what you know, to be true. Um, and I think, so I think the only way to do that is to familiarize yourself with the text and not about what we've grown up to believe about the text. Absolutely. What would you say? I know something you wrote in your, I think real bio on your blog was that sometimes you've been a little bit disenchanted maybe with church or modern Christian culture. Maybe it was modern American Christianity and modern churches. Um, so sometimes we have like a very consumerism message in modern churches. And so for me, a huge part of this stripping away the shoulds has been through what I've learned at church. Um, and what, how does that line up with scripture? And obviously I love church. I'm in church. You know, it's just it can be really hard when the thing you trust to guide you as an institution isn't lining up with scripture. How did you, how do you deal with that? Oh my gosh. That, and that's such a, I'm so glad you brought it up because it's so important and it's so true. Um, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a case of the best laid plans. You know, you just, um, you want this church to be this wonderful, perfect institution where everyone sees love and light. And it's just not, it's just not, I, Yes, have been disenchanted before, um, and often uh, with with um, am- mainly American Christianity. Um, I think a, a lot of our views are very selfish. I think um, 
I think it's human nature to use the uh, Bible to kind of justify what we're doing uh, in our daily lives. And I, I prefer, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I, I think the more that I read the Bible, um, the less I, um, the less I use it in as, as kind of a way to, um, how do I word this? The, the more that I'm in it, I think the more enchanting it is and the more miraculous it feels and the more mysterious it feels. And so it's almost as if the more I read about it, the less I am. I am convinced about anything at all. And so while I look to the Bible as I say, what I say is truth, that, that really only means, uh, for me, a very narrow view of truth, which is, um, you know, am I serving my neighbors? Am I loving my neighbors? Am I, am I honoring and respecting the people that I live with? Um, Am I encouraging? Am I lifting one another up in my words and in good deeds? I, I think those are things that I find to be universally true and good um, and anything that is producing a fruit of the Spirit. But I think what church you know, taught me growing up sometimes was kind of the evangelical model where... Uh, Yes, but um, you have to go and sin no more, and you have to tell other people to go and sin no more. And um, judgment is a very real thing, and judgment day is upon us. And I think there were a lot of messages that were rooted in fear of other people, and fear of differences, and misunderstanding that fear as judgment or as perhaps just a lack of understanding. And so, um, when I say that I rely fully on the Bible as my standard of truth, um, that truth is unchanging, but I think sometimes it changes me quite a bit and it changes my perspective quite a bit. And I think that's a really important distinction and clarification to make because it's really easy to pull out a verse from Proverbs and say, um, this is, this is the truth without considering, um, the context and the repercussions of what happens when we apply that particular verse to our life. Um, I always think of the story um, where with the woman who was um, set to be stoned because of infidelity in her marriage and, you know, he who cast the first stone scenario. And, And our role there was not to be the judger saying, go and sin no more. But our role there was, um, to not cast the stone. And so I, I suppose that's more the gold standard in treating other people is that it's not me to be the ultimate judge of my own life and other people's, but it is me to, um, to remove the plank from my own eye first. I love that. Man, I just have so enjoyed our conversation and really enjoy your perspective. I find it to be so fresh. And I know that our listeners are going to walk away challenged and encouraged by this conversation and kind of how they're living life and juggling their dreams and their life. And I know I am at least. So it has been such a joy to have you here. I would love for you to share though, before you go, where can people find you? Where can people grab a copy of your book? We'll be sure to link it all up in the show notes, but I, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you. Ah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, this has just been um, so much fun for me as well. And, um, a nice break in the day in the afternoon. (laughs) Um, 
Yes, I am at uh, designformankind.com. And then um, and I, I blog there, I don't know, usually at least weekly. Um, I will say that I write every day. I just don't necessarily publish every day. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at Erin Lochner and Twitter at Erin Lochner. Um, those are probably the main areas to find me. My book is at um, Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's called Chasing Slow. Oh, it is a, I'm excited. I totally encourage you guys to... Um, grab a copy of Chasing Slow because I'm enjoying it. I love um, curling up at night and having a good read. And it's definitely um, been a joy for me and really challenged me. So I am I'm thankful for you to join us today, Erin. And we'll definitely have to have you back on here. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other.